I'm going to open in prayer, and we'll get uh, to our lesson for today. Gracious Lord and God, again, we come before you thankful uh, that you draw us into your presence, you call us into your presence in worship, uh, you give us uh, the merits and the intercession of Jesus Christ, your Son, uh, who is our surety, uh, the one who assures us, O Lord, of our salvation in you, and for all those who put their trust in you, who confess with their mouths and believe with their hearts, and so we thank you. Now, for this confession of those who are gathered together today, we thank you for your spirit who witnesses with our spirits that we are children of God. Uh, we bless your name and we praise you and we pray that you would uh, allow us today to grow in knowledge and understanding of you, the way that you work in your people. As we consider today prayer and the word, uh, give us wisdom by your spirit. Uh, give us sensitivity uh, of our spirits and our hearts uh, as we hear from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come in, come in from the fields of sin, as the old Baptist uh, hymn said. Uh, I had a professor that liked to say that, liked to quote that one. He was a Baptist. Um, all right, so today we have two objectives. Uh, last time we stopped short with our discussion of prayer, uh, and with one voice of dissent, we decided we would continue this week, and so that's part of our goal, is to continue and to finish uh, our discussion on prayer, and then the other half is to begin the discussion on the ministry of the Word. Now, my guess is we're not going to get all the way through that, uh, depending on how long we spend on prayer, and so we'll probably take what was supposed to be two neat little sections and, and combine it into three, and, and there'll be more of both. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But today we want to discuss prayer uh, and then the Word. Now, we were working through three main points of discussion last time, uh, the first point of discussion, we had some, uh, some prefatory remarks and things like that as we were thinking about prayer, and the first point that we discussed last week was, well, what are we doing when we pray? Uh, and we discussed the fact that it's actually this Trinitarian experience of communion with God as his Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our spirits uh, to change us and to direct our prayers, to direct our groanings. Uh, to show us how to desire the right things according to his word and to ask for those things. So we're pouring out our hearts. We're praising the Lord in prayer. We confess our sins in prayer. We give thanks. Uh, how often we find uh, thankfulness together with prayer in the New Testament. It's all over the place. Uh, and so we were talking about these things, and there were two more. One, uh, we want to discuss today the difference between private prayer and corporate prayer, if there is one. And... Uh, two, we want to think about, uh, well, what can we do to cultivate our worship through prayer? How can we uh, engage with this in a meaningful way? Let me give you a, um, a little direction. If you've just come in and you don't have a Trinity hymnal, you're going to want it. We're going to refer to the Westminster later. Last time I had a nice little outline or, or a handout, but I don't have those this week. Uh, so make sure you've got a Trinity uh, and be prepared for that when we get there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to begin to discuss this difference between private prayer and corporate prayer, uh, there is a story that is often told. Pastors love to use it as illustrations in sermons, uh, so don't be surprised if someday it shows up uh, in one of mine. But the story goes, and it's a true story, that, uh, that under the Johnson administration, Lyndon Johnson appointed his friend uh, Bill Moyers, to be the press secretary in his cabinet, uh, in his administration. And uh, Bill, uh, aside from being a newspaper man, was also an ordained Baptist minister. Uh, he was also a very soft-spoken man. Uh, and uh, it's said that at one of these special dinners at the White House, uh, for all the staff gathered together, Johnson asked Moyers to stand and to offer grace before dinner. And so he did. And being a very soft-spoken man, he began to pray. And and uh, Johnson was rather gruff, uh, and from the other end of the table, he said, Speak up, man, we can't hear you. To which uh, Mr. Moyers responded, Mr. President, I wasn't speaking to you. Uh, now, that's good for us to think about this idea of public prayer versus private prayer. And, and here's the question, is there a difference between the two? Uh, was Moyers right to say, no, 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 this is something I'm doing just between me and the Lord, and I'm glad for you if you can listen in on it, but especially as we gather together in worship, is that what we ought to be doing? Should we say in our corporate prayer, 
here's my own little slice of my individual heaven and my, my own tiny little devotional period as we gather together, or is there a difference? And if there is, what are the differences? What are the differences, do you think, between corporate gathered prayer and private prayer? Bill? Volume? Sure. Sure, so we do want to hear one another. We, we don't want to be a, a Bill Moyers where uh, we mumble and, and grumble and, and nobody can hear us. Now, now, why is it that, that you would want to be a part of that, Bill? Why do you want to hear what's being prayed and to pray together with other believers? So there's, there's some fellowship and even some teaching and some learning going on while we're praying together corporately. Good, thank you. Greg, I saw your hand, and then we'll get to Ronnie. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, audible, brief, and Christ-centered. And I bet we've all been at a prayer meeting where somebody has forgotten at least one of those things. Uh, And, uh, you know, maybe it's the guy who's ordained, uh, and he happens to be there, and he goes on and on and on and on and on, and he's not very brief, and and everybody else wants to to take part. You know, so there are those, those other gathered moments where, uh, it's not directed prayer, like we have a prayer of intercession during our service, um, but it's, it's sort of the popcorn model where this person prays and that person prays. And, and in, those, in those times, you want to give opportunities for everybody uh, to give voice to, to what the Spirit is doing. Good, yeah, so, so we want to uh, guard that time and do it well so that we're not encroaching upon others and so that we're, we're leading well. Ronnie, difference between corporate prayer and private prayer. So, so we need to be pretty focused, um, and we can think of prayer in different ways. There, there are the prayers that we have that are printed, uh, that we're all praying together, and I think that, uh, you know, how often can we read a passage and get to the end of the passage and go, what did I just read? Well, we can do the same thing with our prayer, where we're just not engaged, even though we're the one who, who is doing the prayer, and even so, if somebody else is doing the praying, like the beginning of our service, that prayer of adoration, or the prayer of intercession later, uh, we want to be engaged with it. We, we, and, and there's a difference there because we're not the ones putting the mental energy into formulating the, the prayers and the requests and the praises, uh, but, but we still want to be involved, but it's a, it's a different kind of thing. Good. Lee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, when you're speaking for others, that's a, an important thing, uh, and so you want to be together. Rob, did I see a, or was it Scott? Sorry, I saw a hand out of my periphery. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I'm hearing a few themes. Um, 
And let me follow this up with a quote from Robert Dabney. Uh, this is in his book, actually, on preaching. Here, here's an interesting thing, that it used to be that everyone who wrote a book on preaching included some section on public prayer. You don't see that very often anymore. Uh, in fact, when I went through Gordon-Conwell, which I thought was a very good uh, education, no one taught me how to lead corporate prayer. Nobody had a class where we said, here's how you pray for the people when you're gathered together. Here's how you formulate things to pray for. Here's what you do. Nobody touched on it. But it used to be that it was one half of the preacher's task. And so if people were writing textbooks for preachers, like Robert Dabney, the book is Sacred Rhetoric, and it's just a textbook on, on sermon preparation and delivery. And in the end, he's got a chapter on, uh, on corporate prayer. The same thing was true for almost all of the people before him and, and around his time who were writing for preachers. But here's, here's what Dabney says. To speak for God to men, okay, so preaching. To speak for God to men is a sacred and responsible task. To speak for men to God is no less responsible and is more solemn. The public prayers of the pastor are apt to be the models of the devotions of his people. When he leads them in prayer, he's really teaching them to pray. Now, uh, your conception of your own private prayer life probably comes from lots of different influences. Uh, but undoubtedly, and hopefully, by God's grace, you come to church each week, and I don't say this to make my own head bigger, the heads of those elders who come and lead in, in our time of prayer, hopefully you're picking things up along the way that you go, I would never have thought to pray for that. But isn't that great, and, and isn't that a wonderful way to come before the Lord, and, and this intercession, in a sense. You know, that happened to me. I, we had a for several years, we had a, a time of prayer gathering together uh, at the Wannicks home in Chelmsford, and for various scheduling reasons, we, we haven't been doing this over the winter. Um, but, and I'll name her, Karen Wannick especially, uh, in her prayers, really challenged me in the way that she prayed for the things that she wished she didn't have to go through. And she thanked the Lord for her afflictions and her trials and her hardships, and I thought, the way that, that Karen's able to do this, isn't that a, a challenge that, that I ought to take up and, and to learn how to do this? And so it happens all the time when we pray with one another. It certainly happens when we're gathered together in worship and somebody's standing in the front and they're praying. And I think what Dabney says there, when he leads them in prayer, he's really teaching them how to pray. And so some of the things we've already heard, we, we want to edify one another. That's an aim in corporate prayer that we don't have in private prayer. Uh, that, that when you go to the Lord in private prayer, in your own prayer closet, you can pour out your heart and you can be as scattered as you need to be. And sometimes it takes a while in your own prayer life to center down on, onto where you can even start because you try to start here and your mind wanders and you try to start again and your mind wanders and, it, and it's almost this regressive sort of how, how can I begin until you find that center uh, of your own prayer and the Spirit is moving you in your heart and you can pour out your heart to the Lord. Well, that would be rather tedious if we did that every week uh, from the front of the church. Uh, maybe sometimes it feels like we're doing that, um, but, but I hope uh, when I and the other men who are in the front and leading us in prayer were doing that, our aim is, yes, to, to stand before the congregation and to represent them. So there's one of the reasons we need to be engaged, that, that we are intercessing for you and we're, we're meant to represent you and your needs and the needs of the gathered body, not just our own individual prayer requests, but we're also edifying one another. That's, that's part of the goal. Uh, and so what you would see from the Puritans, they would talk about prayer, and they would talk about pleading the promises of God. That's one of the things that we try to do in corporate prayer, that uh, not because I need to uh, teach God uh, what his promises are to us, uh, but we're learning together how to go before the Lord and we're, in a sense, sometimes citing God's word back to him because we're learning to connect God's promises uh, to his provision for his people and to take those things before him. Uh, and uh, I can't remember, Gernal, William Gernal, or maybe Samuel Rutherford, I can't remember which one it was, um, but he said prayer is simply a promise turned into an argument. That's what we do. We take God's promises to us, and we turn them back, and we say, Lord, you have you've said this, and so please do this thing that you've already promised, and that's part of our prayer together. Some other things that we noticed, well, here's a difference. Not everybody can do the praying. 
that's obvious. Uh, certainly the Lord could hear us all if we all prayed at, at the same time. And in some cultures, that's what they do. I remember Pastor Jerry Maguire going to uh, Uganda and coming back and being struck by the fact that when they gathered for prayer, uh, in their worship services, they would say, now, a time of prayer. And 70 voices in the congregation would start praying all at the same time. And God can handle that. Uh, but, but that's not the way that we tend to do it, and, and we, we tend to have one at a time leading others. Um, I think of necessity, our prayers in public are generally just not as free as they might be in, in private, especially think about your, your confession of sin, uh, which is why during our service we have that moment of silence. Uh, we use generally some prayers that are, are basic in nature to get us in the right frame of confession, to, to get us before God's law and his requirements upon his people, uh, and then we give you time during the service to confess your individual sins individually, uh, to name them, and to say, this is the sin. Not just broadly, oh Lord, I've, I've loved things other than you, but what is that thing this week uh, that you have loved more than the Lord? And you come before him in confession, and, and that's important that you have that time privately, but, but it would be almost wrong to do that uh, individually, everybody uh, in, in front of one another. Not that we're afraid of, of sharing our struggles, but we can be more free uh, individually. And, and so it also has this aim of edifying, and somebody's already mentioned that. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we just studied this not too long ago. Uh, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, And here's the application that Paul gives. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's he speaking about? He's talking about prayer talking about the people gathered together, and he says, in your prayer, pray so that those who are sitting around you can say, amen. That resonates with what I see in my own life and the things that I need when I go before the Lord, and you have given rise to those things that I was already thinking. Or maybe sometimes you've given rise to things I was not aware that I needed to pray for. I think the, the prayer for the persecuted church, week after week after week, is a good reminder for many of us who, who can have this tendency to, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I don't see them. I don't know them. Uh, I have nothing to do with these people in, in all these other places in the world, and so uh, why should I remember to pray for them? Uh, but it, it's a reminder. This is what we need to do when we pray. Uh, and, and Paul instructs Timothy that prayers be offered for, for all men uh, in high positions and low positions, and, and we're told in Hebrews to remember those who are in prison. So here's something we ought to pray for, and, and sometimes we can forget. Uh, so, so edification is uh, important. And I think that's part of why we have so many prayers in our worship service. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a, a super high liturgy church uh, where everything is participation, and, and, but we are a lot higher liturgy than some other low church traditions, and I don't know how you want to classify that. Now, I had uh, someone recently come to me who's rather new to our church and is coming from a background where they have no experience with, with a formal liturgy. It's the, it's the basic, generic, evangelical sort of, we pray in the beginning, we sing five or six songs, we pray, uh, we have uh, an offering, and then we pray again and have a sermon. And yes, that is a liturgy, um, although an informal one. Um, thank you, Rob. Uh, I love that I can read your mind and I know where you're going. This is great. Our relationship is really blossoming. <laughs> And that is a liturgy, but it's nowhere near as, as sort of formal as we might think our liturgy is and where everything we're leading you through the service. Uh, and, and this person came to me, and they're coming from this background. They've never been in a church where week after week we, we've got a prayer of confession uh, and a confession of our faith, a profession of our faith, and, and all of these little steps that we go through. And they said, I really love what we do in this church. Because each week, without fail, we hit adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. 
every week. We hit all of those, and there's not a week that we come and, oh, we forgot to confess our sins before the Lord this week. Or we were so wrapped up in praying for this person and their need, which is important, that we forgot to simply adore the Lord. Now, we start our service every time, and that ought to be edifying to you. Hopefully it is edifying to you that here's a way that the gospel ought to work in your own life. Here's a way that the Spirit ought to lead you in prayer, that you come away from our service week by week, and there's actually a drama to our liturgy. We come into God's presence, and we are struck with who he is, and we cannot help but adore him. And then immediately upon seeing who God is, we recognize who we are, and we come into confession. And we hear the assurance of pardon from the gospel word of Jesus Christ, and then we come into thanksgiving. And it's only then when we recognize that we're wrapped into this relationship with the Lord that we can say, here's why God ought to listen to my prayers. Why are our prayers and why is our service structured the way it is? Well, it, it mirrors the way the gospel works in individual hearts of believers. And the way that we pray through the service mirrors that same thing. And hopefully we're learning that together in this process of, of going through the liturgy week after week uh, is impressing upon us what we ought to be doing in our own prayer lives. Any thoughts about that? Things that you've never thought about before or, or, or other statements, how is corporate prayer different than private prayer? Anything before we move on? Uh, so one more point, um, and we're going to skip over that one. Uh, one more point on, uh, on prayer, corporate prayer. What can we do to worship well through prayer? And here's where, if you've got your, uh, your Trinity hymnal, uh, here's where you're going to need to turn to the back. I think it's very helpful, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21. As soon as somebody gets there, you can tell us what page we're on. Um, but it's Westminster Confession, chapter 21, section 3. Who's got it? Who's got a page number? 860. All right. So, here's the question. I'll restate the question, then we'll read this section again, and, and we'll come back and to, and to hear our thoughts and what we can take away from it. The question is, what can we do to cultivate true worship through gathered prayer? What do we learn as we, as we come here? Here's what it says. Prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship. Let me stop there. Um, the next sections, section five, we're going to look at when we start to talk about the ministry of the word. Section five begins to list all of the individual uh, elements of worship. Uh, reading, preaching the word, and I uh, can't remember the other ones that are there off the top of my head. Uh, sacraments and, uh, and all these others. Um, but the Westminster actually singled out prayer. And for whatever reason, they called it one special part of religious worship. Uh, here is a place where the Reformers saw grave error. Even if a church, uh, and they, they start to go uh, and, and do some polemics against these errors uh, in uh, section 4, uh, they saw grave error in some of the churches. Even if everything else is there, the way that we pour out our hearts to the Lord uh, is something that deserves special attention. And so I think it's important, it's instructive for us, the way that this is given its own space in addition to all of the regular elements of worship. Uh, but it, it talks about prayer. So prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men. And... That it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love and perseverance, and, if vocal, in a known tongue. Now, uh, that last section there, uh, in a known tongue, they were not worried about charismatics coming into their service. They were talking about Rome, and they were talking about Latin, uh, that you want to pray in a way that everybody can hear. So that's what they were aiming at uh, in that particular time period. Uh, but so how does this help us to address how can we cultivate true worship through prayer when we gather together? What, what, ought, to we have, what ought we to have in the forefront of our minds and our prayers? Jay? Repentance, Okay. How so? How does that work out in corporate prayer? How can we do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so here's, and, and it's wrapped up in these other words like fervency. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and what's that phrase that we use sometimes in one of our uh, our Puritan prayers of confession? I need my I need my tears to be washed. Uh, it's it's repenting of our repentance because it's never perfect enough, and we recognize that. And part of our prayer is coming before the Lord and understanding this enormous chasm that exists between Creator and creation. We're not just on a plane and separated by space, uh, but we are fundamentally different. Ontologically different would be the, the philosophical term. Our beings are different. He is the creator, we are the creation. Uh, and so even coming before him in prayer and recognizing, here's a gift the Lord has given to us, that he says, I'm going to hear the prayers of my people. When you speak to me, I'm going to listen. Uh, you know, shouldn't that instill some fervency in our prayer when we gather together? And shouldn't it be something that we take so seriously when we come together? Uh, when the men who stand at the, at the front and pray, shouldn't we take that so seriously when we're writing our prayers of adoration and intercession and all of these other things? And it can become, because of the sinfulness of our heart, not because of, of what prayer is fundamentally, it can become, here's where my mind wanders when somebody else is speaking. Because it's not even like preaching. I'm not sitting there staring at a text and going, oh, I, I see this and I, and I, collect, I connect those dots it's just, it can be just sort of the murmur in the background, the, the white noise. Um, and, and we need to really dig into what's going on when the prayer is being offered. Um, maybe you want to start saying amen. I don't know. Paul says we ought to be able to do that. We're Presbyterians. We, we don't want to do that. There was a guy who came into the service, I think it was like three or four years ago, and I happened to be preaching, uh, and at one point he said amen. And he looked around and noticed all of us Presbyterians are sitting there in silence. And he, he's been back several times. I'll never do that again. He said, I, I'll say it quietly to myself, but I won't say it out loud. Maybe, maybe we start saying amen to the prayers. I don't know. Uh, you know we, we engage with what's going on. Good, good, good. What else? How does what we've just read help us to understand how we can cultivate and grow in true worship through prayer when we're gathered together? Alicia. Yeah, there's, there's got to be some humility in our prayer. Um, I think coupled with some gospel grace. We are poor and we're needy. Um, and, and in a very real spiritual sense, we don't come with anything to offer to the Lord. We don't come saying, aren't you glad that I'm talking to you today? Aren't you glad that I, I've, I've recognized that you can help? No, 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 it's not that sort of thing. It's a humility. It's a, it's a genuine need that we recognize. We pray dependently. It talks about praying with the help of the Spirit. Well, we will never pray with the help of the Spirit if we think we don't need the help of the Spirit in our prayer. If we think, well, God should hear my prayer because I'm doing pretty good this week. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course he's going to listen to me. I didn't snap at my kids this week. Of course he'll listen to me. Um, but recognizing our, our need and our emptiness that's a that's a part of what prayer is. Yes, thank you, Bill. Where is this? Uh, in the. Okay. Sure. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes, with thanksgiving, according to his will, with understanding uh, and reverence, humility, fervency, and faith. Good. And love, an important part of our prayer life together. Good. So Westminster Confession, chapter 21. Anything else that we see there? Now, how about this in the name of uh, the Son? Is that what it says? Is to be made in the name of the Son. Does that mean 
uh, that all of our prayers have to end with that catchphrase, in Jesus' name, amen. Is that what that means? Or is it bigger than that? Does it include that, and it's bigger, or does it not include that, or is it only that? What do you think? You think that is irrelevant? What is irrelevant? Yeah, and we think of the upper room discourse and Jesus with his disciples. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Uh, and, it, and it's this, it's coming to the Father because we know the Son. Yeah, and, and I think recognizing, too, that our prayers will never be perfect, as we've already mentioned before, and, and they still need to be repented of. Um, but we're told in Hebrews that he always lives to intercede for the saints. So as we're praying to the Father through the Son, the Son is interceding for us. And, I, you know, and you sort of imagine, well, that wasn't exactly right, but the Lord will recast what we actually need and present it to the Father uh, that, that our prayers come, come through the intercession of Christ. Now, why should he listen to us? Well, because Christ has drawn us near. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, that, uh, that he's become our peace. So this great little section talking about Jew and Gentile joined together uh, in one body. There's now one body in place of the two. And he came and he preached peace to those who are near and peace to those who are far off. And, and on down there, it's talking about the gospel, and it says, uh, and we've, through whom we've received access to the Father. Why can we come before him? Because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what we've done, not because our prayers are good and well-framed, and not because the guy who's standing at the front has thought it out, and he's got all the phrasing just right. No, our prayers come before the Lord because Christ is good, and he intercedes for us. Chris. Absolutely. And, and a good way to do that is to end by saying, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, some, not that it's, it's the magic formula, right? It's not the hocus pocus at the end that makes it all worthwhile, um, but it's, again, this edification aspect that we're learning together. Why can we come before the Lord? Because of the merit and the intercession of Jesus Christ, the one who's perfect and who always lives. Yes, absolutely. And, and all of that content... Uh, it says elsewhere in that section, according to his will. Well, that's also what it means uh, to do it in the name of Jesus, that we, we pray for those things that, that we know the Lord is pleased for us to pray for. Yeah. Bill? He's our high priest, absolutely. He is the mediator between God and man, the only one who stands between. Yeah, and so our prayers come through him, in the way, and, and the picture there from Hebrews is in the way that the people would have brought their sacrifice to the temple, uh, and the priest would have done the sacrificial thing and burned the thing, and, and all of the, the incense and the smoke goes up, and it's the priest who's there interceding as the go-between between God and man. And we can imagine our, our prayers, sort of the smoke of the incense of the living sacrifices, if we could, if we could put it that way. Uh, ascending through the intercession of Jesus because he stands in our place. David, did I see a hand in the back? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, you know, Luther would have called it simultaneously saint and sinner. Uh, that we're coming and, and the flesh is warring against the spirit, the spirit's warring against the flesh. And he does connect that. So he's talking about uh, the fights and the quarrels that we have among us. Here's this corporate body gathered together and everybody has their own desires um, and those desires skew the way that we pray. And he, he takes that in the next little verse there. Uh, he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Who are they asking? Well, they're asking the Lord. Uh, it's coming with a double mind. That's the other idea in, in James, this double-minded man who, oh, I, I have faith, but maybe not. I, I want this thing, but maybe I want the other thing. Uh, and, it, and it's this constant laying ourselves. I think it goes back to what Jay started us off, thinking about confession, that we, we come confessing that we're not worthy to bring our prayers before the Lord, and, and we need him to change our desires and, and to tell us what is good to pray and, and the things that we ought to desire for ourselves. Teresa. Okay. Okay. I'm not entirely sure which, you mentioned you hear condemnations, you hear people saying, if you don't do it this way, could you, could you give me an example of one of the ones that you're thinking about? Maybe that'll help me to think about what we're, we're talking about together. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Absolutely. And why does God hear you? Because Jesus Christ gives us access with the Father. Not because we've prayed the right formulaic prayer, uh, and that uh, is another one of the errors that, that this section, and we didn't read it, but this section of the Westminster is, is going against. Um, we ought not to, and I, I don't have it open in front of me, I have it printed. Um, what does section four say? The next little section. Somebody have it, can read it for us? Ronnie? Oh, there's, there's a can of worms. Um, <laughs> let me see here. Maybe it's the... <laughs> oh, thank you. Not surprisingly, we've taken up almost the entire class uh, trying to wrap up this little section in prayer. Um, ah, section two. That's the one I was thinking of. Uh, religious worship, and I think this is, uh, this is assuming prayer underneath. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other but of Christ alone. Part of what you're talking about with the rosary is seeking the mediation of somebody else um, through Mary. Uh, and, and part of, you know, my, my dad was raised Roman Catholic, uh, and he speaks of the way, and I, I don't have any experience with this personally, I, I only know what I've heard from him, uh, the way that when he was raised, you would go to confession, uh, and the priest would tell you, you've sinned, 
here's your punishment, go and pray the Lord's Prayer 15 times. And to think of prayer as a punishment, uh, the thing that, you know, this is our penance that we work off uh, what, what we need to take care of. Um, and, and of course there's going to be no heart in that prayer. Of course there's going to be no love and fervency and faith and, and affection in that prayer. Uh, because it's simply the, the check mark that you have to complete. Um, and so I don't know if this answers your, your question, Teresa, but um, our, our prayers don't have to match some particular formula. Uh, I think a wonderful example of the things we ought to be praying for is in the Lord's Prayer, which we quote and we pray together every week. Um, and that shows us some of the things that we ought to have before us, um, but it, it doesn't mean... Well, here's the only way that you can pray. You have to pray with just these words and in just this way or God won't hear you. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 59, uh, the Lord speaks of, he says, my arm is not too short nor is my ear too dull that I cannot save. Uh, that I, you know, my arm's not too short that I can't reach out. My ear's not too dull that I can't hear you. But something has separated your prayers from me and it's your sin. Well, why do we pray through Jesus Christ? Because he's the one who takes care of our sin. Nobody else does. Nobody else is our mediator. Nobody else can bring us before the Father with perfect intercession as our only priest, but Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're encouraged, it says later in Hebrews, uh, let us draw near to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. How do we come? Well, we come full of heart and we lay our requests before the Lord and we know that he hears us not because we've prayed the right thing uh, in the right posture and we've lit the candle and we've gone through all the the steps, uh, but we pray through the one who intercedes for us. Yes, directed to God and, and recognizing the intercession of the Son. Notice there is a Trinitarian aspect that it's laying out here, uh, that even Jesus himself, the Son, goes off and prays to the Father. And he says to the disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you. Um, and so our prayers... Uh, and, and you may prove me wrong, I think there might be one example uh, in Acts. I could be wrong, and I, I don't want to give you a reference because I don't have it. I think there might be one example where prayer is specifically directed to Jesus. I could be completely wrong. Uh, but the norm in the Bible from Jesus himself and all the disciples is that we pray to the Father. We direct our prayers to the Father, but, but we do so because Jesus is our intercessor and the Spirit helps us. And it's this Trinitarian thing that we're talking about here. Good. Look at that. Almost the entire class. Um, oh, my. So uh, we've talked about a lot of, uh, I think, really helpful things here. Um, here's what Dabney says again. All faults, all faults in public prayer can be traced to two sources. Deficiency in piety and deficiency in preparation. Why do we not have hearts that are engaged in the prayer that when we come together? Because we're not trained in prayer. You're not going to be able to follow somebody else praying for eight minutes if you can't pray by yourself for eight minutes. And if we've not cultivated a spirit of prayer on our own, this piety uh, to come into worship and be led by somebody else when they're praying for things that aren't uh, on the tip of our tongue and in the forefront of our mind, well, of course we're going we're gonna to fail in these things, fail in, in a sort of human-speaking way. Uh, not that our, our prayer, prayers are failures before the Lord, uh, but we can be frustrated in our prayer life because of these things. He says, deficiency in piety, deficiency in preparation. Um, at, at another point, further down in this study, we're going to talk about the Lord's Day as part of our worship. And part of that is preparing ourselves for the Lord's Day. Part of it is arranging our affairs for the Lord's Day, so that when we come in to worship, we're not thinking about all those thousand things that, that could be running through our minds, that we take steps as far as we're able. Now, the men who are leading take steps to prepare for the prayer, and those who are uh, participating in the prayer take steps to clear their mind as far as they are able of all of these worldly cares. When I was hired as a pastor, I got a, um, a little sheet with my call package, uh, presbytery parlance, 
uh, the money that the church agreed to pay me. Uh, and before that, there is this standard phrasing that shows up in, in Presbyterian call packages. Uh, and it says that you may be free from worldly cares and avocations. We commit to the following such and such. And there's the, there's the call package. Wouldn't it be great if we could come into worship each week and engage in prayer free from worldly cares and avocations? That everything's taken care of so that we can say, amen, yes. I want to be there and I want to be engaged with what's being said uh, because I realize that, that something is happening, happening with the corporate uh, body when we gather together that is this communion when we gather together. Any closing thoughts before we spend some time in prayer together? We got a whole other class out of this. This was great. Chris. Yeah. Nothing is the answer, of course. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is, again, what the Puritans would have said about pleading the promises. How do you do that? Well, Jacob is a great example. Acts chapter 4 is a great example. Um, Peter and uh, John are released. Uh, they have been before the council. They've been released. They were persecuted and beat and sent away. Um, and they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your holy father, of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2. There's a preface here. Hey God, remember when you said this, and you said it through David, and it was your Holy Spirit speaking, and they quote Psalm 2, and then they come down later, and, and a lot of it, they're, they're really just rehashing what has happened. 
Uh, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod Pontius Pilate, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And then they go on and they say, Look, Lord, upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders. What are they doing? They're pleading the promises. They're doing what Jacob said. But you, God, said, um, and so, yeah, let's do that humbly. Um, but don't forget the treasure trove. Here's, here's a wonderful thing to do, and many of you have probably gotten the book from me already, uh, Don Whitney, uh, Praying the Scriptures. Start in the Psalms and just open them and just read through and pray what comes to mind. How do I, oh, how do I pray the Scriptures? Read the Scriptures and pray what the Lord puts on your mind. And if he doesn't put anything on your mind, keep reading the Scriptures. And when he puts something on your mind, pray that to the Lord. Uh, and, and in a sense, it seems so simple, uh, but we struggle with it. But yes, thank you. So Jacob, uh, the apostles, this is a great thing to do, that we salt our prayer with the language of Scripture. That's another dabney phrase, uh, that it should be salted with the language of Scripture. So let's pray together, folks. Lord, our God, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all that is, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We desire to be in your presence Uh, Your word is more to us uh, than all gold and silver, sweeter to us than the honeycomb, and we desire to be your people and the sheep of your pasture whom you will feed with your righteous right hand. And so, O Lord, keep us, sustain us, prepare us to come into your worship uh, and to worship of you as we gather together in just a little while. Give us your spirit, O Lord. Uh, that our hearts would be joined together and knit together so that we with one voice would glorify our God and Savior. And so help us uh, by your spirit, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So no more prayer next time we're on to the ministry of the word, okay?